Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks with Leif Hetland. We invite you into the conversation and celebration of what God is doing around the world through his sons and daughters. Leif shares insight into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Before I even start with a message, I, I do want to honor you for the way that you honor his presence. Um, I was very deeply moved by, I was just reflecting even as I was uh, sitting on the floor for a few moments and I was thinking about, I had been in ministry probably for almost 10 years before I experienced just what we had tonight. And I know sometimes we can take that for granted. But I remember 1994 as a hungry or thirsty Baptist pastor. Whatever it take, whatever it cost, I heard there was something happen out of Toronto. And I was willing to do whatever because I heard there was a fresh press. There was something, there was fresh bread. And if you have eaten stale bread, when you're hearing about there is fresh bread, you're willing to pay whatever it takes, whatever it costs. And travel across the world. And later on, uh, I heard in Pensacola, I was on Father's Day 95. And I had a little motorcycle. We didn't have much. I was a pastor of a Baptist church. And my wife was there. And eventually, with children and everything else, we have a small salary. But I sold what I had. And gentlemen, airplane flew across to Atlanta. And then down to Pensacola. And then I stood in line outside there. And we stood there from 7 o'clock in the morning till pretty much the evening, the door opened up, the building was filled to be able to experience what you have here tonight. I, I just don't want you to take it for granted. I want your palates because what you're experiencing, if you're not aware of it, because listen, if you do not understand, you wouldn't know how to value. And if you don't know how to value, you wouldn't know how to steward it. And if you don't know how to steward it, you will not know how to multiply it. And if you don't know how to multiply it, you don't get authority over it. So your palates in these environments, you start to taste of something. There's this heavenly wine that's being tasted. And this is not an, I, I'm not a wine drinker. I used to be. There's nothing wrong with it. Because I, but I'm just telling you that this is not like a 10 or $20 bottle. There is this $1,000 bottle that is being served here. And so what you have to do, it is not just to drink. You have to stop and you have to smell. You need to get your palates ready and you need to suddenly being aware that the heaven is serving you something that is very precious. Whoa. So that we're honoring, we're honoring his presence. I'm just saying that to honor you for honoring his presence, that heaven is so attracted to the hunger that is in this room. So don't take it for granted. And it was just in a matter of a moment, I could feel also if we just stewed and lingered a little bit longer, the glory, well, the glory started coming in. And I have been there in the glory of God. And there's nothing like when the weightiness of the glory of God comes in. When suddenly you see lame people walking, blind people seeing, tumors are disappearing. It is an amazing privilege eventually that when we start to host him, and the best thing about Jesus is Jesus. There's no other agenda. Because if you have him, you have everything. If you have everything and you don't have him, you have nothing. So I just wanted to honor you here even on a Monday night. To Don't take it for granted. We got to play because somebody has been paying. I don't know if you got that. Somebody else's tears is producing rain over us right now. Some of the intercessor has been praying is creating outpouring over us. 
There's people that has gone before us, and there's these large cloud of witnesses connected to what is taking place here tonight. And that's why in Hebrew 12 it says, Therefore, there's this large cloud of witnesses. Therefore, you now run the race that has been set before you. Stay within your lane. But run in such a way, let go of whatever weighs you down. And then in the next month, get rid of any sins that entangles you. And then you're going to run. So there's some people that start well, but they don't finish well. And then there's some people even in the middle of it, there's disappointment and discouragement. Stuff happened in that race. But my heart is that a finisher anointing is going to help each one of you. So Jesus says, this is my life verse, John 17, 4, where Jesus says, Father, Father, I have glorified you here on earth, and I have finished everything that you call me to do. Oh, I just pray that over every one of us, that you will, wow, you will live and you will love in such a way that you will bring glory to who your father is, that the world around you is going to see who your papa is. Because you will reflect his face, you will reflect his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his love in such a way because you have seen his face and your face has changed as a result of it. And the way you see everybody else has changed. Oh, it is my desire, but also that you finish everything that he called you to do, not what he didn't call you to do. That you will stay within your lane doing everything. You have this one life to live and so much love to give that you will wake up in the morning with a purpose and a passion. So even when I'm watching this video, I say, I know there's a lot of pictures, but every picture has a story. And I have not watched much of this because my team had just put it together. But each one of those pictures have stories from gun in my mouth to tumors to all kinds of killings. So there's all these stories behind the story. We often see some of those kind of a glorious picture. But it took about 20 years before the door opened up. It's like you'd be pushing a rock for 20 years and it didn't move before the first time I saw women without the veil. It took 17 years before suddenly the king's mosque opened up. For my dream was one day I'm going to stand in that mosque and represent a God that looks like Jesus. I'm just saying that because some of us that we, we maybe have a word over your life. And I've received when Dr. Randy Clark came to this Baptist pastor. And my desperation level was greater than my fear level. And I came to this meeting with a small group of pastors. I stood in the line and Randy says, is there anyone here that is hungry for something more? And here is a young Baptist pastor because we had two of the people that died of cancer. And I knew if Jesus was there, they would have been alive. But I didn't have enough of Jesus in me to make a difference. And I was reading about it in the word, but I didn't have the power. And I didn't have the authority to make a difference. So I was hungry for something more. I didn't want to have another funeral. I would rather give up in ministry than continue to be able to talking about the gospel without experiencing it. Because I no longer represent good news. So in this crisis, I stood in line there in Haugis in Norway. Randy Clark took his hand and he touched the Salvation Army. Woo, he went on the floor. We didn't do that in my Baptist church. And then the Methodist, whoo, he went down. The Salvation Army, whoo, he went down. And I got nervous. I kind of were those big, strong Norwegian calves. I mean, I planted myself as a good football player. Because in my Baptist church, if you end up on the floor, you can get the left foot of fellowship. That's, we didn't know how to cast our deacons. Some of you do not know Baptist churches. They are run by deacons. 
So this was one of those moments in my life. But when he came to me, he didn't say touch or bless or fill. Or He stopped and he says, you are a bulldozer. I'm thinking, no, I'm a Baptist pastor. <laughs> I didn't know much about prophecy. I mean, I went to Bible college and seminary. They didn't teach me about prophecy. And then he said, you are a bulldozer. And it's like this picture of like the Amazon is in front of you. It's just darkness. And, and you're going to hit, whoa, those trees. And you're making a way where there is no way. And this big light is following after you. I see like, and there's multitudes of people following you after you. And the next moment, I'm on the floor. Electricity, fire, electricity, fire. And I see people having different encounters. And, and, and we do not know what is God and what is not God and what God is doing. And you, you cannot know that. But all I know that if you have looked at me, I will maybe look weird in that meeting. This Baptist pastor, but it was fire, it was electricity, fire and electricity. When I came up from that place, I've been rewired and something had taken place. And I just remember I went back again, same person in a sense, but I walked by and there was a heroin addict that was sitting there. They used to sit where I walked by. And when I walked by him, the presence of God just hit him and set him free from heroin addiction. I didn't do anything. I didn't pray. I didn't know what's going on. And then I came to my church and we had this Shia Muslim Iranian refugees to Norway. He had been in our church service before, but now he showed up. He starts to tear off his clothes. Deliverance. I didn't know that the light was now touching darkness. And that started a journey of crisis because some people liked it and some didn't like it. Some wanted a church as normal, but it started a hunger in my life that that was in June 6, 1995. But what I didn't know that was going to be a bulldozer, six months later, a compression fracture on my neck, August 2nd, a body cast, and 12 surgery, and broken back, and broken ribs, and broken legs, and I, I didn't know guns in your mouth. I didn't know all of the rest of that story, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when I decided to take up that cross and follow Jesus, it cost everything. When you kissed your wife and children goodbye, and you went into some of the darkest places, the one of the story I told about here was my first time that I ended up in the Middle East because I didn't like Muslims. I didn't love Muslims. But now I'm called to going into the darkest Muslim area. And I remember so clearly on my first trip, it was in December 1995, we came to this place. And I'm just kind of warming up my voice. Are you guys okay? <clears throat> I, I do get to the message that Mike I like. <laughs> It's coming a little bit later, but I'm still in the appetizer. But I just felt several of those things just started to stir in my spirit. Because sometimes there's a story behind a story. And sometimes you're hearing a message, but you do not know the difference. Because at the moment you get a message, that's good. But it is not before the message gets you that there is impartation. Because you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. So I can give you a seed, but it's not before that seed becomes a tree. That's certainly the fruits, the people around you get to taste of that. And the process, how to become who you already are. So I have a word of my life and the potential in this word is that you're going to see a million Muslims that have come to Jesus. So two weeks after the encounter, a guy, not a guy would YWAM, youth with a mission says, hey, I see you as a bulldozer. I'm translating. I thought, that's strange. Same thing. And you're going to go into the darkest places in the world where the gospel has never been. And a million Muslims are going to come to Jesus. I didn't even love or like Muslims. But this started that journey that I said. And then eventually, to make the story short, 
by December of 99, we moved back to America, and I was broken, and 12 major surgeries, opiates, pain. Then the Baptist denomination kicked me out, and we were about to lose it all. So I had a spiritual storm, emotional storm, physical storm. I was sitting in a wheelchair in Disney World and was about to give up. And my little baby daughter at the time, they put her on my lap and it started to rain. It got worse. I had seen a half a million people at that time saved. But my first trip to take you back five years where I was about to start the first trip to the Middle East, I was about to change my life. Because when I came in there, I was full of fear. And I was so overwhelmed, and I heard about these people that wanted to kill me. And as a blonde had a blue-eyed Norwegian, it's hard to be covert. <laughs> so when we came in there, it was like, you're a target to everyone. It's like, infidel. <laughs> and, and it was not a very pleasant atmosphere. And I was full of fear. And I knew these Muslims, they're going to kill me and, and all those things. And I learned in leadership, that is, you go for a win-win situation. This is a lose-lose situation. And the plan that God gave us is set 50,000 posters all over the place and tell that Jesus is going to be in this cricket field. <laughs> and just tell them to bring the lame people and the blind, and Jesus is going to heal them all. I had never seen those things. So I knew that if Jesus shows up, I'm going to get killed. But if he doesn't show up, I'm going to get killed. And in leadership, you're supposed to go for win-win. That's a lose-lose situation. And I'm thinking, I have a wife and family. And so that was in December of 95. And in the first meeting, I remember the first night, and this guy, that Muslim up there, was playing. The worship didn't help a whole lot. And this guy was demonized. His eyes was rolling back in his eyes when he was. And we're supposed to share and. And it was one of those nights I never forget as long as I live because there was a group of them that suddenly started to chant. And we have about 8,000 people the first day. And this, but this group of about eight, nine guys with long beard and brown eyes, they just came towards us and it looked like harshness. And I'm like, I'm about to die now. They get closer and closer and closer. The closer they came, I found out in the middle of them, I actually have an old picture of it. Suddenly I see this guy that is doing like this, go between. And what I found out as they came up close, some of our people and the guards, they interviewed and found out that all these other guys, they were not angry. They had brought their friend to the meeting. He was quadriplegic. And they had carried him on a stretcher, put him on the top of a bus for seven hours because somebody had shown the poster. And when he brought him, nobody prayed or anything else, but just in the meeting, the same presence that you have here in this room. It was actually less, suddenly just came into that room, the presence of Jesus. And this person, when he stood up and he walked and his friends was shouting and chanting for Jesus, they came up and they testified and the environment changed and people's like, wow, what did Jesus do? I saw the blind eyes open. I saw cancer disappearing. And that day as a Norwegian Baptist pastor, I was changed. It's like I've been fishing all night, get very little. And now you're learning a different way of fishing. It's called power evangelism. I knew presentation where I tried to talk people into the kingdom. But now it's like the next night there are 16,000 people. Then eventually three days, 24,000 people surrendered to Jesus. That was my first experience. And from there we have done, I think it's 27 of those citywide events. But this is the story that I had to share that was connected to the video so you can get the context. And I'm just putting some things together. But this, this one lady... 
Late at night, she came up, and I still have the picture in my desk, and I know Mike, I get to see it every day in my desk in my office where this round face, and she takes and opens up her burqa, and I'm looking into her face, and I can feel this kind of a, first it is this glow, and she would through the translator says, I, I prayed a prayer, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart, and I'm like, yeah, she got saved. And then she said, I also got healing in my body. I don't even remember what she was healed from, but she described, I got healed today. And I'm like, this is double. She got saved and healed, and I'm like so excited. But from the joy of her salvation and her healing, suddenly sadness came. And it was this dark cloud that came over her face. And she said, uh, how long have you known about this Jesus? That's one you heard on the video. I said, well, my country, Norway, had just celebrated 1,000 years since Christianity came to Norway. And she said, why didn't you come earlier? My, my husband died last year, and he never knew that Jesus was alive. And my son died two years ago of cancer. He didn't know that Jesus was alive. <laughs> they didn't know that Jesus was alive, and you have known for so long. Why didn't you come earlier? None of the people in my village, when I go back, knows that Jesus is alive. Why didn't you come earlier? And the only thing I could think of, I've been distracted. I've been going to South Africa and Romania and Guatemala, all these other places. But all of you people have never heard. 45,000 people enter eternity today. And they live their entire life. And they never once got to know that Jesus loves them. And tomorrow there's another 45,000. And this thing started to burn in me. And it's a little bit similar to build up to this message that is today. So I'm putting this as a little framework in. But I didn't know after this encounter trouble came. And as I say, health issue and attack and killings. It was a tough season. And I was so broken by December of 99. I remember the very day, I can't do anything any longer. Because despite of everything I was seeing, on the inside I had an orphan heart. I actually did not love Muslims. The reason I was doing the evangelism, traveling in the world, is this is what I was doing for God because I didn't know how to live from God. Wow. I did it out of duty, not delight. I did it out of pressure, not the Father's pleasure. I was trying to get people to heaven, but I didn't know how to bring heaven to people. And something was, God was setting me up, setting my bones broken. And on the inside, I had an orphan heart and an orphan spirit. What do you mean by that? That means that I knew Jesus. I even knew the Holy Spirit that I met in 95. But I just didn't know Papa God. I knew about him. I could have written a book about the fatherhood of God. But if you were to describe, I didn't have a relationship. Jesus only did what he saw the father do. He only said what he heard the father say. He was in such a relationship with the father. And in one moment when Jesus had just been with Papa, the disciple came down. They didn't say, Jesus, can you show us how to raise the dead? Or touch lepers? Or, no, they said, can you teach us how to pray? Because we would like to have this relationship with the Father that you have. Because we know that's the secret to everything. And Jesus said, well, it is my Papa, your Papa, our Father. You cannot say our Father without knowing that you're a beloved son and daughter. I was an orphan that was asking God to do what he had called me to do. 
I call it prayer. God called it disobedient. And on the inside, I had a dark hole in my soul. I had gone from being a prodigal son, suicidal drug addict, got radically saved. And then I just had the picture in my Bible and I looked right before I came up because I knew there was some Gen C here. And I looked at the picture right before I got saved. Drug addict, suicidal. Keep it in my Bible as a reminder. But the problem, I went from rebellion to religion. And I didn't know I was as lost. Being out there serving God, doing all these things for him. I'd seen half a million people saved, 300,000 people healed. But I was still an orphan. What do you mean by that? I didn't have a home. I had a nice house. But I didn't have a place of security. I didn't have a place of love. I didn't have a place of value. I didn't have a place of purpose in my father's house. I lived from measure because I didn't know how to live from fullness. I was asking God to bless what I was doing because I didn't know how to do what God was blessing. I was going to do the three church, but I'm already doing it. But if you can open up Isaiah 6, this kind of a sets up to the message. Are you guys okay? Yes. Uh, one or two more small things connected to my testimony and story. In December of 99, during my darkest moment, the reason this is important, because what I'm about to describe to you, when there's a transition, let me ask each one of you in this room, how many of you are no longer who you used to be, but you have not yet become what you're supposed to become? Everyone, yes, congratulations. There's a sunset in one season, and then there's a sunrise in another season. Some of you have a Friday, but Sunday has not yet come. And there's that long Saturday you navigate between your Friday and Sunday moment. And I want you to know that all the world right now is going through the second biggest transition you have seen in world's history. And it is very important for everyone in this room, no matter what age group, to be able to define three simple, clear questions. Number one is, what time is it? Say that with me. And when I'm asking that, I'm not looking at my watch and saying it is about quarter till nine. When I say what time is it, it's talking about Kairos moment. What time is it as God's big timetable? And this is so important for everyone because there's been a lot of people in world's history that did not know what time it is. If you're old enough, a little bit older than Micah, you would remember Y2K. Oh, yeah. For some of you don't remember, if you went back to December of 1999 and you met a lot of the believers in the churches, guess what they were doing? They were going to Walmart and buying generators, tin cans and food and making sure some were building cabins in the wood. Because there's going to be this crash and things is going to happen and we better protect food from the world and the system. Let's get our guns, Christians. <laughs> That's what if you're from Texas where Mike is from. <laughs> so you had all these people. I mean, so all, and you will find this over and over again. People that didn't understand the time, they will never stew into their life right. And I can tell you at least there's about 46, 40 some times in the last 2,000 years where people were sure Jesus was going to come. And, and they were not prepared because they didn't understand the time they were living in. So say time. Say what time is it? Second question all of us need to know is what is God doing in our generation? Say what is God doing? I didn't say what is the devil doing. 
or Republican or Democrats. I, I didn't talk about that. I, I, and I didn't talk, listen, I didn't talk about what God is not doing. The second question is, what is God doing in our generation? And the third question that I believe every single one in this room would need to be able to answer wisely. And that is, what is my place? What is my part? How do I invest this one life I have? How do I live and love well in the middle of it? And if I just... Kind of with Isaiah 6, I hope I'm going to put a fresh little framework with you. And then we're going to have some wonderful time. Because the beautiful part of the kingdom of God. And then there is this beautiful divine exchange that is taking place. But some of us, what we have a struggle with, we're trying to hold on to something. And a lot of people in the middle of a shaking, we're trying to hold on. And I want you to know there's a whole lot of shaking going on in the world. And anything that can be shook will actually be shaken. And I had somebody, well, you're shaking the hell out of me. Excuse my language. But somebody said that to me, so I'm just telling honest what he said. And I said, well, why would you want to have hell in you anyway? Let go. Allow the light and love to take and deal with the shakable places in your life so that you build your life upon what is unshakable. And there is an unshakable kingdom and there is an unchanging person. His name is Jesus. He rules and he reigns in the middle of everything. And it is totally possible in the middle of the storm for you to be addressed. And you have only authority over the storms you can sleep in. Just talk to Jesus about it. He could speak to the storm that was on the outside because there was no storm on the inside. And how could he do that? Because where his father is, there is rest. And he only do what he see the father do. And he said what he heard the father say. So Isaiah 6. Oh, I get so excited. Are you guys okay? Oh, I love these verses. They changed my life. Wow. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Say Uzziah. I saw the Lord. Say I saw the Lord. Sitting on the throne. High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. I'm just going to read it. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Use your imagination. Six wings. With two they covered a face. Two they cover its feet. And with two they flew. And one cried to one another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaking by the voice of him who cried. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, he flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, say coal, which he has taken with the tongues from altar. And when he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this 
Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Once I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Say, I. And who will go for us? Say, us. Say, us. Say, us. This is a key. And then he said, Here am I. Send me. Wow. So let me kind of describe a little bit, first of all, of the background. It was in the year... King Uzziah died. Let me describe Uzziah. He became king when he was about 16 years old. He was very young. And he was a king for about 52 years. The very name Uzziah means the strength of Yahweh. His very name means the strength of God. That's what he was named. The strength of God. That's your name. And you can operate in the strength of God. And when he stepped into the identity and operated with the strength of God, there was supernatural creativity. There was finances. There was prosperity. Everybody that was underneath the rule and reign, probably the second best in all of Israel's history under his rule and reign. But then what was actually happening as the journey went along, he had some prophets on his side, and one of those prophets, his name was Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, at that moment, I call him a chair two prophet. And the reason you you can read it in Isaiah chapter 5, if you met Isaiah the prophet and he would describe him coming into America, I mean, he was thought of, woe was those Democrats, or woe was these... With a left agenda, what was this group or what was that group? You read in Isaiah 5. What was them and what was them and what was that group? And what was everyone out there, oh God, there's judgment and it's God is mad at all those people that have sinners. I mean, they just have issues out there. You can read it. But then, and the reason he could do that is because he was related to King Uzziah. So as long as the king is there and he had something that was comfortable, it was protection, it was provision, he had what he needed in his life. So he had this confidence and strength as long as Uzziah was there. But something happened to Uzziah. He started out in the strength of God. But after a little while, he started to operate in his own strength. He started to step outside his lane. He started to even wanted to do some priestly thing when he is called to be a king. And as a result of that, uh, he disobeyed God. and He didn't operate according to his name. It became instead of the strength of Yahweh, people started talking how great he was. And what he had done instead of what God has done. And it didn't take long before something shifted. And eventually, the byproduct of that, he suddenly one day goes in and he looks underneath and there was leprosy. And his leprosy started to spread and eventually he died of leprosy. And it is a picture. And any one of us in a moment, and when we are in a season, I want us just to say anything that you have trusted on in the previous season, it is in the year King Uzziah died. So what are some of the things you have relied on, something you have trusted as long as all those things are in place? So America has been in a crisis situation. I had some of my friends, because they voted for a certain president and had a certain system, they thought this is good. Until eventually when that system died, they had a crisis moment. And I've had some crisis moments. I had a crisis moment in 99 that led to my baptism of love. 
I, I, I had a crisis moment, as I say, in 1995. That's when I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. So you sometimes, and we talked about it earlier, change is very difficult, but the whole world is changing. And often we change because we hurt enough where we have to. And there's some of you, the pain level in your life right now, whatever you're struggling, whatever is your stronghold, whatever you're going through, you're realizing, I have to change. But that's not enough. The intention is good, but it's not enough to have pain. If not to anyone that struggled with liver problem, then his drinker will stop drinking. The smoker will stop smoking. It's not enough. But the second then, you start to learn enough where you want to change. You start to get in your desire. That's why I left my Baptist church. I went to Toronto. I went to Pensacola. I went wherever it was because I started to learn that there's something more than what I've experienced. I'm hungry for something more. But that's not enough. The third one that is needed for change to happen is I receive enough where I'm able to. Say hurt enough. Have to. Learn enough. Want to. Receive enough. Able to. And we need grace. And this is where humility comes in. And this is what was the opposite. Uzziah had an opportunity to humble himself. Uzziah had an opportunity, but he didn't. He continued in his own strength until he died. And when he died, something in a nation. And Isaiah having a crisis moment. And there's a lot of people with crisis moment. They're hurting enough. They have to change. Now they're learning enough. I want to change. But I also believe some of you tonight, you're going to experience to receive enough where you're able to change. There's grace available. But that happens through Humility. When we just recognize without him, I can't do nothing. So in the middle of this crisis, in the year King Uzziah died, that's when he had an encounter. I saw him. Who did he see? He saw the Lord. Now he had an encounter with God. I saw him and I saw him high and I saw him high and he is lifted up. What are you seeing in this season? How chaotic everything is, the crisis, everything, all the bad news and it is there. It is real. We feel the pain of it. And when you get so overwhelmed by what happens here, it is time for you to get so overwhelmed by him that nothing else can overwhelm you. I don't know if you got that. But let me say that one more time. In a moment when we get so overwhelmed, I get overwhelmed in Mecca right now. I have, I mean, it's 1.8 billion people going through Ramadan. But early this morning from all over, getting pictures and video from Mecca, from so many of the top Muslim influential leaders, just, we are praying for you. On a Friday, I could just feel it was a little strange day. And I told Mike, I don't know what I'm feeling. And then I'm getting a text in from the king's master saying, there's all over the nation, we're praying for you. 60 million people are praying for me in the Muslim world. And I'm wondering, why do I feel this warfare going on? Whatever overwhelms you, shapes you. You can be overwhelmed by fear, and fear will start to shape you. But you can get so overwhelmed by his love. That that love will start to shape you. And when you look at the Terrasol, you don't see the Terrasol, you see the Apostle Paul. You don't treat people based upon their history, but their destiny. You get a different perspective. But first you have to look up before you can look in, before you can look out, and before you can look forward. Are you okay? I'm not angry, I'm just a little intense. I'm just a little excited about this because whew, this is leading somewhere. Say, I saw him. 
I saw him high. Lifted up. He's on the throne. He's large and in charge. He's not nervous about what's happening in America. He's not nervous about the darkness. He's not nervous about what is taking place. But he's just helping us to coming in and posture herself in position where we get so overwhelmed by him that nothing else can overwhelm us. And when I saw him high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. The same word of the, the, the robe there is even when the woman was just touching the hem of that garment, she got healed. And this is in the season. That's what I'm experiencing in here, in this room. The train of his robe is coming in. Whoa. And it's filling this temple. And we're supposed to fill this temple and your temple. Whoa. Because when you're beholding, say beholding, you're becoming. And what you become is what you release. Say behold. Become. Release. So you start to behold him. Whoa. I saw him high and lifted up. And then the train of his robe filled the temple. I'm just going to make sure that I don't skip something very important. Because then above it stood seraphim. Wow. Each one had six wings. Two they covered their face. Holy, holy. Two covered their feet. They walked. The words of the adoration. And with two, only two was working. The other four was resting. And then you are seeing holy. Say holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. What is going to happen when you see him. You're going to get so overwhelmed by his holiness. Holy is his love. Holy is his joy. Holy is his presence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I want you to capture the next verse. The whole earth is filled with glory. Not with sin. Let me stop there for a moment. What did the scripture says? The whole earth is filled with America is actually filled with? Nashville, Franklin area is filled with? If you see it from heaven's perspective, there's glory everywhere. What sin and make people fall short of glory. But why would you want to do sin management when you can do glory management? But if you're going to go, if you're going to experience sin, you have to go from glory to glory. The starting point has to be glory, not sin. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, America, the world, the Muslim world, all over the world, there's glory, there's glory everywhere. There's glory in people, there's glory in music, there's glory in the film. But many of us have just allowing, whoa, we've been allowing the world to taking over. But what we are doing is now redeeming back again, things back to glory, so that the instrument, the music, every single thing would be brought into glory, because everything was born for glory. A fish in water, it becomes alive. An eagle in the sky, it soars. A son and daughter in the perfect love becomes alive. And glory is being released when you are becoming you. So be you. Everybody else is occupied. <laughs> be an original. Don't be a copy. A couple of more verses and we're going to follow a couple of things here. And the post of the door was shaken. By the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, I want you to watch this. This is, woe is me. This is where I'm at these days. 
for I am undone. When I see what's broken in Nashville, what was me? I know there's darkness. I know there's addiction. I see in the Muslim world and killing our brothers and sisters. I had this one radical group that always was trying to stop me. And one of them, he created stir. And they tried to falsely accuse me and saying that I tried to blaspheme their prophet and all these things. And when I went, there was a stirring going on. And every single time I didn't know, am I going to become alive? One, one time, 500 guys showed up with guns and knives. They were going to come to kill me. And I was able to escape the country. And so I knew that every time I come, there is this evil man and he's just coming. And suddenly one day I'm struggling with the Lord and say, I, I really struggle. He says, he is not the problem you are. We don't have a darkness problem, but a lack of light. I've never been to a place that is so dark that light is not greater than darkness. I know that Barabbas, I know what he deserved, but can you take that on me so that he can become free? That's called a ministry of reconciliation. Well, you are representing God before people and people before God. That's the Lamb's nature in each one of us as sons and daughters. Because you have authority over what you weep over, but you also have authority where you love. The identity is in the lamb, say lamb. But the authority is in the lion, say lion. And in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah was a lion prophet. And we had a lot of lion prophets in this last season. And in 2019 and 2020, and people were prophesying and they were roaring. And people were scattering and divided because it didn't come from the lamb's heart. And that's one of the reasons I believe what God is allowing us to do as beautiful lambs. And that is suddenly we're coming in and behold a lamb. And we're suddenly looking into the face. And we, this is what's happening with Isaiah. Isaiah was one of those lions. What was them? What was that group? This group? That group? And he divided instead of unite. But when you roar as a lion, and we need to be lion, but with a lamb's heart. So when we roar, people will gather, not scatter, because it comes from a place of love, a God that loves this world, a God that loves people, a God that wants his family back. So this guy, eventually, I just struggled with it, and I repented from my view towards him, because I saw a terrorist Saul. I had not seen the Apostle Paul. I hadn't seen him the way Papa God was seeing him. And that's called the truth that sets you free. So when you're seeing this radical, can you see love is patient, love is kind? That's not envy. That's what Paul did. That's what Jesus saw. In the Simon, he saw Peter. In the Son of Thunder, he saw the apostle who he loved. In you, he sees destiny that comes from your identity. And Isaiah now, this day, he's meeting the lamb. When I saw him, now he starts to see himself. And he realized the problem is not out there. The problem is here. That's intercession. Woe is me, for I am, I've seen you. And now when I see the light, I recognize my own darkness. I know there's darkness there, but I see my own issue. There's not enough light in me to change darkness. There's not love in me to cast out fear. And perfect love casts out fear. So when I have a love deficiency, I come before him and I start to behold his love. So I can become love, so I can give more. Something started to change in me. And 
suddenly I repented as I want to see him the way you see him. I still remember in an official meeting, we had to shake hands. And I heard later on, he was there in the line and I was with his top governmental official and he shook my hand and he shook it, he kind of pulled it back. I heard he had gone into the bathroom and he washed his hand because he touched an unclean person like me. I'm an infidel. A few months later when I was over and there was a group called the Al-Shabaab, similar like the Wahhabi in that. But this one leader had invited me over, and there he comes, and he has a cast on. This same man in this leadership meeting had broken his arm. And I was, I mean, the old way of thinking, the old Isaiah was, he got what he deserved. Judgment. Do you see how he treated me? But he knew me now. It's like, wow. That's the same hand that I heard he had cleaned. And now it's broken. And Jesus came to say, that which was lost. Not just those, but that. Luke 19.10. So I went over in front of people, touched that cast, and the bone came together in front of all imams. Not because I'm good, but because he is good. Because something had changed in me. Because in the old system, if you touch lepers, you become unclean. And in the new system, if you touch the lepers, they become clean. It's a different covenant we live under. And some of you are mixing covenants. You don't know how good he is and you don't know how loved you are. And as a result of that, we're trying to work for love instead of from. So Isaiah, what was me for I am undone. I am the man with unclean lips. And I, now see, now I start to identify. This is intercession. Now I start to, and I live among the people. I'm living in this country where there's brokenness between the political. It is broken. They're trying to steal the agenda of a generation. I see the broken in our city and the horrific evil taking place in our school. I start to identify with the pain. The lamb in me feel the pain, what is broken. And something in me breaks in me over what's broken in this world. And you start to weep. The tears is about to produce rain. And Isaiah, now when I see the grace and the mercy he's given me, what was me because I am done, I live among the people. Now instead of they are the bad and this and that, now I start to identify what I live among these people. On my watch, I'm supposed to be salt. I'm supposed to be light. My environment is not changing that environment. When I step into the classroom, it doesn't change the temperature because I'm not the thermostat. I'm just a thermometer to check the temperature and often judge. And it takes responsibility. I am the one. And I live among these people. And then God can do something. Oh, this is exciting. (laughs) For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, and I'm just five more minutes and I'm landing this. One of the seraphim, he flew to me having in his hand a live coal. Say a live coal. And he's taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my lips with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. And your iniquity has taken away. All those judgment and negative prophecy and all of that is being dealt with at this moment. God, Jesus was not the love what it did. The flames of love and the fire of loves touches his lips. Wow. And it has two things. And I'm here to say, why would the angel take a tongue from and find a coal from the altar of heaven? I believe because angels are made of fire. They, could, they don't need to have a tongue. But I believe it is because for each one of us, there's some coal of fire at the altar of heaven that is customized for you. 
And this one coal was for Isaiah. And he took that, oh, that's for you, Isaiah. And he touches his lips. And when he touches his lips, there is this cleansing and freedom from sin. But there's another thing that takes place. You become set on fire. And you're becoming a message. And you're becoming a burning one. A fire that will burn brightly without burning out. Because you're burning oil, oil of intimacy with your lover. When it touches his lips, something starts to burn. It's painful. and He's touching my lips in this season. Can I just be honest with you? Because I don't want to be... I will be honest with you anyway. <laughs> Not alive. I struggled a lot in this last couple of years and season. And One day God says, Leif, why are you judging people that are judging? And then he started dealing with me. Leif, you are prejudiced against people that are prejudiced. My son-in-law is African-American. Of course, you can see that Micah is traveling with me, and we go to Alabama and a lot of sweet places around. But our son-in-law is from Alabama. During COVID, because somebody says, and I'm not politically, I'm a Norwegian, just. <laughs> but because somebody didn't have masks, his mom was recovering from cancer. And she got COVID, died of cancer. So you have lost his father, lost his grandparents, lost everyone. And uh, we went on with my son-in-law, Rayvon, and we went up first to Florence, Alabama, and then to Elgin. We're the only white in this, and we're heading into this field where they're going to bury his mother. And we're coming into this field. My daughter, my name is Hetlin, and her name is Lila Hetlin, until she married Rayvon. And they've been married for 11 years. The name was Fuqua. And I always thought, that's a strange name. Sounds like French name and everything else. But that day when I saw, oh, this is the Fuqua farm. So we went out into the burial place. On the left side, there were some graves. But on the right side is where we had it. And that's where all the family members are buried. And the Fuqua farm is actually the farm where all uh, their family has been slaved. And on the right side is where the people of certain color, like my son-in-law and their family, could only be buried. And we buried his mother. And when we were there, I thought I understood. I lived in the south and traveled. I thought I understood. But that day I left there with tears. That's the lamb in you. And then our city got on fire because of the George Floyd. And some people saw me being out there. And I remember on social media, people criticized me because I was out marching. And one person came to me and says, you are saying that black lives matter, all lives matter. And I'm not politically involved. But I'm just saying that if one of my houses in my neighborhood is on fire, I don't say all house matters. I'm going after that one house that is on fire. Let us all stop that fire. So I came in to start the love on my city. I coming in to lay myself down to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. And started to bring people together. I do that between Sunnah and Shia Muslim. I'm doing that between Isaac and Ishmael. I did that between Protestant Catholics in Ireland. I did it between Serbs and the Kosovo Albanians in the war. We were just in Rwanda and Micah was there with me and we were there in a Catholic church, and in the middle of the Catholic church, if you know Kigala, that's where you had the genocide and the slaughter all over the country. And the oldest, we went to the genocide museum, and it's the most horrific things imaginable took place in a nation. And just where we stood, there's 250,000 people buried underneath us. 
that the slaughter of a whole nation was watched over the world and we were so broken. But one of the things that they did, they had a church, the oldest Catholic church was filled up and the priest helped to fill up the whole church and then they slaughter everyone, children, women and everything, they slaughter everyone. The priest was in on it. So Mike and I came there all these years afterwards and we stood outside at mass and these people came out and you could still feel the trauma after all these years. Including one alcohol that was outside, I never forget it. He was still scarred up and still drinking just because of the trauma. And I got so broken when I saw these people coming out. And a team from here, a couple of people living in Franklin, we were together. And the next three days, we in this Catholic church, started to minister first the baptism of love and then minister to the trauma. Started to, by the third day, the whole place exploded. Totally unity. Totally loved. The faces was glowing and they were dancing all over the place. This one that had raped these family members and killed these members, now they are loving one another, one in the spirit. He had already served 15 years in sentence, so, but now suddenly all these scars was taking place and I was left with a hope, a baptism of hope. What I watched happen from city to city all over that nation and to see the reconciliation. I know that there's hope for the Democrats and Republican America. Because what God did in Rwanda, it was a baptism of hope. And there's not one single place I don't believe that what Jesus and the precious blood of Jesus can do. You can't talk me out of it. I've seen too much of what love can do. When we learn to practice the language of love. So when his lips were on fire, do you know what happened? His ear opened up. How do I know? It was not that God was speaking to him and God was calling him. And even today, don't try to listen to his voice in the sense of, is he speaking to me what I'm supposed to do? It's actually something else. When the lips gets on fire, what happened is he listened in on the conversation in heaven. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is having a conversation. What's happening in Franklin? What's happening in Nashville, what's happening in America? There's a conversation. How do you know? You can read it in the scriptures. And they are talking about who am I going to send? There's all these issues going on. Who's going to do that in the classroom? What's going on here? Who, who am I going to? There's a whole generation in here. They're in the presence and in the glory. But who am I going to send? And who will go for us? Who will go for Say that. Who will go for us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why us? Because it's the family of heaven. Us, not me. Who will go for me? Who will go for us? It is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When your lips are on fire and he cleanses and you're being set on fire, your ears open up and you start to listen to what heaven has to say about what he wants to do here on earth. And then Isaiah did, and I'm doing it again. And I'm going to land by just being vulnerable with you just did it recently it's painful it's hard place myself in the offering plate again i'm just like a coin in your hand you can spend me in whatever way you want to i have a very good life wife four grown children three of them are married and two of them live in europe and have a beautiful home if you see it to have a nice car have a nice ministry written a dozen books, get over 400 invitations. We have a beautiful, almost a thousand churches just part of my family. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying I'd be very, very blessed. But I'm feeling he's saying, I want you to put all of that in the offering plate again. And it is hard when you had little and you were alone. It was easy. And it gets harder. And then you have children. And then you have. 
But I realized just lately, and when I saw the Taliban taking over, and 20 million women and girls, and again, the Uzziah dies, and I have an encounter, and it comes down, and touches my lips again, because first I'm so outraged what's taking place of the evil, and then he has to deal with me that I'm the issue, not them. All he is looking for some ambassadors of love that can represent him before people and people before him. He could do it himself, but they've chosen to do it to ordinary family. And he couldn't do anything with Isaiah before Isaiah himself had something that needed, he needed to let go of. But he depended on a Uzziah. And to get a proper perspective of who God was. So he could get a proper perspective of who he was. And allow the train of the robe touch his temple. And coming in holy, holy, holy. And allow an angel to come in and minister and put the coal on his lips. And cleanse him from whatever stops. And then set him on fire. There's something that I'm burning for. I've had a broken neck, broken back, tumor. I got some weaknesses. I'm 57 years. Paid a high price. It's been painful. I'm not saying to, to the young people, I'm not trying to share it's an easy message. It's not an easy gospel. I'm not going to give you a Sunday without having a Friday. There is no good news without Friday. And some of us, we've got the gospel that you raise your hand. Instead of, let me take you to a cross so that you can die. But that's also when you find freedom. The place of total surrender is the place of exchange. That's why the baptism is all about the death, burial, and resurrection. So when Jesus died, you died with him. When he was buried, you have been buried. When he rose, you rose. And you become made alive again. You become a new creation. The old has passed away. All things came new. I don't want to give you cheap gospel, but I'm standing here. I am a joyful missionary. I will kiss my family goodbye and going into places knowing there's a large chance I will never come back again. And it is scary. It's scary to walk on water, but keep your eyes on Jesus. And even when you feel you are sinking, I have some good news for you. And he says, your faith is little, he said. Do you remember Peter? But even when you are sinking, you feel your faith is little, his grace is big. And he will always reach out and just teach you another lesson. But don't stay in the boat. It's the most unsafe place you can be. Get out of the boat. Out of your comfort zone. Put your eyes on Jesus. Step out of and step into something you cannot do. We're going to need a Holy Spirit. We're going to need one another. And it is in this place of total surrender. It's the place of exchange. And at that moment, Isaiah, here am I sent. So I did it again. It's crazy. And I've done it again. But just recently again, it came. A calling to do something that I cannot do. And it is mission impossible. Not the movie, but the life. And it's scary. Then I got diagnosed right afterwards. The bone between my inner ear and brain is gone. So while I'm standing up here, there's this awful ringing sound. I have vertigo, so right before I walked in here, the room is, I have a lot of things that says I can't do this. The surgeon says, there's nothing you can stop with some of those things. I need to create a miracle. 
and, and if not, there's going to be surgery. I'm not saying that for you to feel sorry for me, but it seems like when you're stepping into this assignment, the enemy is very nervous about your assignment. And if you tell me where the serpent has bitten you, I can tell you where your greatest authority is. we stand to our feet could I maybe get and even if somebody from worship here but I just felt today it's it's a time of consecration it's a little scary isn't it especially if we want comfort but it's getting very uncomfortable with comfort because the Uzziah is not working any longer a lot of the Uzziah that we've trusted and actually had some leprosy that has come in. But we rely it is not working. And, and in the middle of it, there's a crisis moment for a lot of us. There's that change. We're no longer who we used to be. Some of the Uzziah from the past is gone. And we need a fresh encounter with him. And I want to look up. I want to see him. I want to see him as he is. Every problem we're facing, the answer is found in the face of God. I want to see him and allowing that train of his robe to start to fill our temple again. Don't be afraid. I'll tell you something. I was just with my friend Heidi Baker last week, and she sent loves and greeting last Sunday. And again, I just, it's so beautiful to see what is taking place. Again, she also just placed herself in that offering plate again. And I see the people that I know that is the most joyful is the ones that is the most free. And when you give it all, you have it all. Sometimes when we're holding on to something, the very thing we hold on to. But I feel what the enemy is trying to do, he's trying to come with shame. And he's trying to come with shame. And I'm here to say shame off you. He's trying to say, no, no, you're not worried. Look at that. Are you going and looking at this online? Are you doing this? Are you? And the enemy is trying to talk about your failure instead of his faithfulness. The solution is not going in and trying to see if you have leprosy. This invitation is for you to see him and then let him put the light on and it is a light therapy and the light and love will touch you in such a way and allow him to touch you in such a way that there was a genuine repentance that is taking place but it is his grace when it comes over you holy 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 is the lord god almighty <laughs> hear the cry of the women behind the veil I hear the cry of the Gen Z, and I know that we were just in Florida, Mike and I, and there was a meeting just like this. I got to pray for every single person, but one girl, she stood there, she wouldn't let us pray. She was just totally locked up and was like, all during the meeting, there was no facial emotion. And I kind of was even a little frustrated, a little tired, because she just, there was nothing in her to want even to show an interest. And in the end, I, was, I prayed for everyone and felt just the Lord said, you need to pray for her. And finally, the pastor says, you, you missed one. And I came up to her and I asked her name and she wouldn't even talk back. And can I give you a father's blessing? She didn't want to talk. And eventually, I just stood there and I could again feel the father's love for her. And I stood there for about 15 minutes. I just stood in the front of her and just feel the love without being able to do anything. And the lamb in me could feel what was broken in her. About 15 minutes after this 17-year-old, she's actually a Japanese background, adopted as a one-year-old, 
Father's a pediatrician, and the mom they stood there by the side. She grabbed the wrong man she was just holding me, and she started just to weep and shake and she hold, and she wouldn't let go. And she just stood there and stood there and hold me. The next day there, again, she came, wrote me a nice note, and I know Micah met with her and found out, but, but she tried twice not to kill herself, 17 years old. There's a whole generation that are hopeless and waking up with shame and guilt and fear and disillusion and don't have purpose and passion. And I realized that very day that what she needed was just to be placed into that offering plate and be free. The next day, all the young people, and I gave them an invitation. This is the week after it started to hit Asbury. And all the young people came in the presence, hit them, and the children came. I just got a video from them now. They're out there baptizing people on the beach in Destin, Florida. And I'm seeing out there on the street young people being touched because when you have an encounter, you become an encounter. When being touched, you can start to touch. But you don't need to try to touch yourself. Let him touch you. Let him do the work. Is there anybody in this room that is hungry for more? Can we just... Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege to be a son. Thank you so much for the privilege. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't come just to save us from something, but to save us to something. And I'm just asking, even at this place, I see all over this room, I saw how heaven was attracted to them. I'm sensing that all the fear is going to be gone, shame is going to be gone, guilt is going to be gone, all those bad pictures that has been, these memories, these haunts, the demonic that has been harassing you at night time, the nightmares that, wow, even in this moment when we start to see you and allowing you to come and do something with us that only you can do. At this very moment, if you're sensing, come Holy Spirit, if you're sensing this holy, holy invitation, then you will have this holy ambition. You don't know exactly what to do with your life. You don't need clarity. All you're saying, yes, if that's you, I just want you to come to this altar and just present yourself. And he's just going to worship over you. And then I want you just to come and, well, come, Michelle. And I want you just to take over, just minister over. And I just sensing that today this holy fire is going to touch us. It's going to set us on fire. And your assignment is going to be released over your life. Some of you have books that is going to be written and you're going to hear the conversation in heaven. Somebody else, there's that song that was going to be sung. And he's going to, you can hear heaven is asking you. And suddenly it's going to be released because there's conversation in heaven right now taking place. And the conversations that there's all those issues that is going on. But who am I going to send? And who will go for us? So let's just make ourselves as a living sacrifice. It is just our reasonable service. And if you do not know Jesus, this is a very good place. And just start to invite him into your heart. Not just as your Savior, but also as your Lord. As the King of your life. Just surrender your life to him. It is, wow, the place of surrender is also the place of exchange. So let's go in. Let's go deep, deep into his presence. And make ourselves, this is a here am I send me. And it starts with who want to see you. It starts with Phillips. It starts with, oh, just take that coat off. I don't even know about myself. If there's areas that you want to cleanse. But I do know that there's a fresh fire from heaven that you want to touch me with. So that my ears open up and I can hear that still small voice. And make myself available and say, here.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Leif Hetland on social media at Leif Hetland and sign up for our weekly newsletter at globalmissionawareness.com.